everyone and welcome to the Women in Law podcast, Stories of Women in Law. My name is Lou and I'm a fourth year LB Law and Politics student at the University of Edinburgh. I was the president of the Society of Women in Law uh, last year, so the academic year of 2020 and 2021, and I'm one of the hosts for this podcast. Today I'll record an episode alone on the topic of sex work and feminism. I wanted to record an episode on this particular issue because I think it illustrates very well the diversity within the feminist movement. By that I mean a lot of different feminists have various points of views on the question and as such I think it is a good way of showcasing that going against or criticizing a feminist point of view does not make you fundamentally anti-feminist. On the contrary, I think it can help you develop a more, I guess, feminist quote-unquote point of view. And sex work is a good way of showcasing this diversity, this even those disagreements within the, within the feminist movement. So the first thing I'll do is I'll explain the difference between sex work and prostitution because I think it's important to note it, especially as um, a law student specificity in the terms that we use is rather important, especially when we're drafting or thinking of drafting or reforming the law. Then I'll go on and explain the abolitionist feminist point of view on sex work. I chose to discuss this particular point of view because it is the classical feminist point of view on the topic, I believe, and I'll go on afterwards to explain why I disagree with it and how other feminists have also disagreed with it um, or who they are and how they position themselves in relation to the sex work question. And then I'll conclude. So this is my essay for the day, I guess. Um, Right, so let's just dive in. So what is the difference between sex work and prostitution? So to answer that, first of all, what is sex work? So sex work is an umbrella term used to refer to sexual services sold in exchange for money or goods. Umbrella term um, because by sexual services we also include prostitution by that i mean prostitution is direct sexual services or rather in-person sexual services such as a blowjob or um, penetration or sort of more i guess classical forms of sexual services and the way we understand them on the other hand the sexual services that are included within the umbrella term of sex work include i don't know webcamming parlors um stripping call girls a variety of services and they are not limited to the classic i guess ones that are sorry um that are that is prostitution or prostitution services, right? So in that sense, when legislation or when you're having a conversation with someone and they're using the term prostitution, 
I think most of the time it's really important to stress the difference between the two, especially because today a lot of the sex industry has moved online and prostitution does not refer to that world, I guess, or to those services. Sex work, on the other hand, does. So in this sense, using the term sex work is also a way of being inclusive and understanding the variety of sexual services that are offered within the sex industry. And that does include things like dancing, for example, or even, um, yeah, hotlines and, or yeah, webcamming, etc. So the other reason why I wanted to stress the difference between those terms is that they have different political connotations. So when using the term sex work, most of the people who tend to, yeah, use it are what we call pro-work activists or sex workers activists. So those people tend to argue that sex work generally and sexual services in exchange for goods or money should be recognized as legitimate work by the government. So that implies either a a decriminalization measure or a legalization measure. I'll explain the difference between those two things as well later. On the other hand, people who do tend to use the word prostitution are abolitionists or, I guess, people who take a more conservative view on the question of prostitution and tend to argue against the recognition of any form of sexual services, including prostitution, as legitimate work. Um, So they tend to argue for the criminalization of sex work or prostitution or certain actors within that industry and so when you're talking to someone if you are under if you understand quickly that this person has a certain knowledge of the question i guess listening and noting what terms they use that is sex work or prostitution is quite informative on their political opinion on the question So people who will use sex work will tend to demand for decriminalization or legalization, whereas people who use the term um, prostitution will tend to demand for either a partial or full criminalization. Now, I've used these big words, criminalization, decriminalization, legalization, and now I'll explain what those mean. So... Those words are used to refer to legal responses to the sex industry and so regulatory measures that the government can take um, to oversee the sex industry, be that online or in person. So criminalization, as the word sort of suggests, means that sexual services Um, and providers, so sex workers, clients, and managers will all be criminalized for their actions if they're caught in any of the, I guess, actions or behaviors that are attached to their work, (laughs) to use the term work in, you know, not a political sense. Um, Partial criminalization, on the other hand, differs from criminalization because it's only the criminalization of one aspect of the sex industry. By one aspect, we actually mean one type of actor. 
So, for example, a common um, or the most common, I guess, or well-known partial criminalization model is the Swedish model um, or the abolitionist model. Actually, I'll go back to that later as well. And that model argues, or not even argues, criminalizes clients and managers, but does not criminalize sex workers or prostitutes. What does that mean? It means that if, let's say, a, yeah, the police arrives and finds, um, yeah, a sex worker and a client in the middle of the act or they are raiding an apartment and they think because it's occupied by sex workers and yeah their idea is to arrest one of the people there they will not arrest the sex worker because the sex worker even if they're selling sex is decriminalized by the law however they will arrest the clients because the client um is criminalized and that goes as well for any managers, um, aka pimps, that are also there. So that's what we mean by partial criminalization. But partial criminalization can also entail, for example, the criminalization of only sex workers, but not clients and managers. It's, yeah, it can take various forms. I guess most commonly it's used to refer to the criminalization of one um actors or one category of actors within the sex industry and the decriminalization of another category so the two main categories i guess of actors being the clients and the sex workers although that's also debatable and um but i guess criminalization or partial criminalization could also be the criminalization of a type of sex work so let's say you could technically define, for example, a model that criminalizes, um, criminalizes, I don't know, on the street, on, on streets, uh, so outdoors sex workers or prostitutes. So for example, people who solicit on the street, so soliciting meaning they go ask clients directly on the street if they want to buy sex from them or a sexual service. So that could be criminalized, whereas, for example, indoors prostitution is not. So that could be also a potential model of criminalization, and it could be referred technically to partial criminalization. The other two models are what we call legalization and decriminalization. So legalization is the essentially, yeah, the legalization of a part of the industry. By legalization, we mean the state taking control over a part of the industry and essentially issuing licenses. So the well-known one is the model in Germany where you have state-run brothels or in the Netherlands as well, where you have state-run brothels that are given out licenses and sex workers also are issued special cards. Um, and so this model essentially allows sex workers to work legally however it does not mean but however it means that if you do not have either that sort of work permits or that um, brothel license for example you are still criminalized so what's interesting is that usually there's a misconception as to what legalization actually entails and 
what often happens with legalization is that only a part of a part of the sex industry is actually legalized not all of it because not everybody not every sex workers especially the most marginalized ones are necessarily capable of obtaining those work permits or um, are capable of being in a state-run brothel and by state-run really i mean just a state has issued um, a license no <laughs> yeah you don't have state delegates there or whatever um and so i think it's interesting because usually a model of legalization like in the netherlands or in germany creates what we call a two-tier industry whereas you have almost the yeah the legalized world and then the criminalized underworld um and so you have this sort of weird yes two-tier system that's created where actually the majority of sex workers or even clients and pimps work in the criminalized underworld and they're still not legalized and what they're and they're still arrested for what they do and so legalization in itself does not entail the end of criminalization the only model that ensures that is what we call decriminalization so decriminalization is the removal of any criminal penalties or administrative penalties for selling buying managing or doing anything in the sex industry so you are at no point sort of at risk of being penalized by the states and as such being arrested sent to jail etc or um at no point you have to pay a fine because yeah your status as your work essentially or your behavior is decriminalized fully and that's the only model that allows this also the interesting thing to note about this is that in this particular model you have no state control over a part of the sex industry so the state does not issue in the decriminalization model the state does not issue licenses for certain brothels to be run sex workers do not have to obtain certain work permits and at the end of the day their behavior they can sort of do what they do and so sell sexual services in exchange for money without any sort of legal criminal consequences administrative uh, consequences because usually what happens is that sex workers are arrested or clients are arrested and they get a fine um rather that they're sent to jail okay so that's the overview of also the different legal responses to sex work um, <laughs> I hope that wasn't too confusing. So now let's move on to, the, I guess, the bulk of this podcast and this episode, which is the abolitionist point of view, the sort of mainstream feminist point of view on the question. So I'll really summarize it in three big points. I'm not doing it justice, I think, really, because it is, you have abolitionists and you have neo-abolitionists, and I'm guessing you have different branches that come off of this particular feminist point of view but um i think it's quite interesting because it is quite a controversial feminist movement on the question of sex work so what is abolitionism so abolitionism i guess can be summarized in its three main tenets the first one is that sex work is inherently violent and exploitative against women because the sex industry replicates and the patriarchal norms and even worsens them 
And so the patriarchal conditions that already are, I guess, in the sort of non-sex industry are aggravated, like those conditions are aggravated in the sex industry. The second tenet is that because the sex industry is inherently violent against sex workers and the majority of prostitutes or sex workers are women and the majority of clients are men, then women are female sex workers are victims um, of the sex industry. And so questions of choice and yeah, and freedom and and all of these questions around work should not be asked because they are victims and they never really had a quote unquote choice to enter the industry or to leave it, etc. And the last tenet, I guess, would be that therefore the measures that the government should focus on are the following. A, abolishing the sex industry. Really, the first goal should be taking any measure to abolish the sex industry as a whole because it is inherently exploitative. And to facilitate the exit of these victims, so sex workers and female sex workers, really, out of the sex industry. So I guess, yeah, I would summarize the abolitionist point of view around these three main points. And... So what's interesting about this particular argument or this particular feminist point of view is that it really takes a um, dualistic and Manichaean view of the sex industry in a gendered way, where you have on one side the sex workers who are women, and this is true, the majority of sex workers are women. And then that, on the other hand, the pimps and the clients, so the ones that they seem to have more control and more power, are men by majority. And so that analysis in itself, or this conclusion, is not false. And there is a gendered aspect to the sex industry. However, the main reason, for example, I disagree with this first point and this dualistic vision of the sex industry is that... The violence associated to gender, um, I don't think, can be sort of simply reduced to actors' positions and roles. So, how do I put this? So, yeah, it, it's um, it's hard to sort of... there's um, With the abolitionist point of view, there's an association of three things. Um, so, it's your, I guess, your role, your actor, your position. So, a sex worker, client, pimps, your gender... And then the, the status that's um, associated with it. So either victim or exploited, sir. Um, exploiter, sorry. And, and the conflation of these three things together, I think, is, not, is a bit simplistic. And it's not very reflective of the diversity of identities that a sex worker holds, that clients hold. And it's also always twisted to sort of, uh, I guess fits a very mainstream, I guess, feminist point of view of, yeah, women are exploited by the patriarchal norms and men and are in doing everything they do for men rather than for themselves and they are disempowered vis-a-vis men who exploit them. And I do think it's a bit simplistic to view the sex industry as such and to also, because of the sort of conflations, completely disregard or put aside questions of choice and agency because by reducing 
women, besides the diversity point, by reducing women uh, sex workers to victims, you're taking away a form of their agency and you're saying that A, they never had a choice, that they it, it was never a thing that they decided and we can debate philosophically i guess hours on what choice means um especially in certain conditions but besides that i think disregarding it completely on the basic on the basis just that they're of their status as sex workers that's automatically equated to victim i just think is a bit simplistic and not very reflective of also the variety of positions that sex workers have because you have high-end prostitutes you have high-end call girls you have high-end strippers and so of course that's not the majority of sex workers and i think it'd be that the argument of oh yeah but you know they're not all exploitative uh, and you know you have the luxury side to the sex industry is true but on the other hand to not fall completely into the trap of sort of picking the cherry picking the one person and being like look at it they're not all victims i think my point really is that with victimizing people you also it's a very good way of just putting their voice aside and not listening to what they're saying which is a lot of the responses that abolitionists have had to the claims that sex workers have made over the years and so in that sense this is why i find it so problematic because their over-focus on the victimization of sex workers and these women prevents them from listening or taking into account what sex workers are saying about the conditions in their industry and where they, they identify sources of violence. And that goes, back, that goes to my second criticism, which is where abolitionists locate the source of violence, I guess, um, in the sex industry. So, um, main, I guess, feminist disagreement in regards to the question of sex work is the cause, the source of violence um, in, the, in the gendered sense, or even in general. And what abolitionists tend to say, as I explained earlier, is that violence is inherent to the work or the sexual services that sex workers sell. And other, other activists or other feminists have argued against this point of view by saying that the violence or the violent in yeah the violence and the, the, the exploitation in sex in the sex industry is not associated to the nature of the industry and, and the work, but rather it's located in the conditions of it. And then therefore to minimize or even add violence within the sex industry, you have to change its conditions. And this particular particular movement that heads it is called the sex workers activist movement. And I find more value in that point of view, but I think this is a more fundamental point in there. You have points for either, but I just think that there's more value to the other one because I, because saying that, for example, jumping from the sex industry is inherently violent and selling sex is inherently violent to because of that we need to abolish it is a very i don't know i just think i wonder i i have this sort of skepticism towards whether or not prostitution will ever and sex work will ever be 
abolished. I don't think it will. I think it will survive regardless because I regard the majority of psych workers that, that I've met and, and that I've heard about as a most of a survival mechanism, um, just like selling drugs really for a lot of people. And so because of that, I don't think that sort of having the straightforward answers of we just need to abolish it or to abolish the sex industry is the way forward or is constructive, especially because it's a way of dismissing the current conditions um, that are violent and that are associated with the way NGOs sometimes or exit programs will treat um, sex workers. Um, as victims who need help and who need rescuing and reduce them to that rather than empowering them with concrete, I guess, financial or material programs. Um, that's the first thing. And then the second thing really is also it sort of puts aside the responsibility that governments and legal responses have and the impact that they have on the conditions of sex workers. And a lot of studies, a lot of academics have argued lengthily on the fact that criminalization and of both clients and sex workers and pimps is a massive cause of violence um, in the sex industry. I'm not going to go into the details, but I do if you're interested in the topic, I do recommend you read into it. But I do think that's a, a thing that we need to take into account. And taking the abolitionist route and a sort of jump from everything, it's inherently violent, we need to abolish it, that's it, is also a way of dismissing how legal responses and governmental responses are causing violence and are contributing to the marginalization of sex workers, to the marginalization of yeah, a, a massive industry. Um, so yeah. So that's the, the second reason why I disagree with it and why, and I think it's rooted. And but then again, this particular argument is rooted in the disagreement over where we situate the root cause of violence in the sex industry. And I think there's a lot to say on either side. I'm not gonna go over everything, but this is why I tend to agree more with sort of the argument that goes on the conditions um, that create violence rather than the sort of nature of the work and the nature of the industry. So yeah, so I, I guess these are my two main counter arguments, but I think they're very interesting. I mean, they're interesting, but I guess it's very interesting to put it that way, because I guess it's my way of showing you that as a self-called, self-named um, feminist. I disagree with other feminist point of views. I've, most feminists that I know do as well. I, I haven't met one feminist who agrees with all feminists out there. And I just think that because currently we are very quick to point fingers at other people, especially when they've just said the wrong thing or they say, oh, I don't agree with this. Or I, I think we, we should take more time to sort of, yeah, relax you know, take a step back and understand that we are allowed to disagree with other people, especially on fundamental things that are arguments that have been going on for years in academia and the real world and everywhere. And so in that sense, I think there's value in 
this sort of understanding that being or disagreeing and criticizing a feminist point of view is not being anti-feminist. Um, being anti-feminist is a political stance, it's a political point of view that goes against gender equality, but disagreeing with one way of achieving gender equality, which is what most um, feminist point of views try to stand for, it is not anti-feminist, it's just disagreeing with one method or one way of viewing it. And the movement itself is so diverse. I think there's value in recognizing that and in and yeah, and recognizing diversity and disagreements, especially because I, I do think to a certain degree that yeah, disagreements help us grow and help a movement like feminism grow and and so dismissing others for disagreeing um, and using disagreeing with the label of feminist is not necessarily the most healthy things nor necessary thing really um but yeah so that was me on sex work and feminism i i hope you liked it i know it was a little bit confusing i hope you understood where i was getting at what i what i explained um at least the sort of sex work prostitution difference and the different legal responses and the abolitionist point of view then my counter arguments i know are a little bit messy but yeah, I hope you enjoyed. And if you're interested in the topic, I would recommend reading one book. Um, very political book, but very good book as well. It's called um, Revolting Prostitutes by Mackin Smith. So these are two Scottish sex work. I think one is Scottish and the other is English. So two sex workers who, I think in 2019, wrote a book on the sex industry in general and analyzed the different legal responses, so criminalization, legalization, partial criminalization, and um, legalization, yeah, legalization, criminalization, decriminalization, and partial criminalization. And I think it's really interesting because they give a lot of arguments and examples from different countries in the world. And so even if you don't necessarily agree with the point that they make, I think it's already a good resource and the, their bibliography I think is around 40 pages long alone so you can also find a lot of things on there that's worth looking into but yeah I hope you enjoyed this I'm sorry for the messiness I think it's also a thing that happens when you record an episode alone but yeah it was lovely chatting about this and see you next time Be sure to check out our other episodes on Anchor, Spotify, I think YouTube now, and Apple Music. You'll see all of the references on the Women in Law Facebook page. Just tap Edinburgh University Facebook page on the little search bar on Facebook and you'll find us. Thank you so much. See you next time. Keep the little tradition of a song at the end of each episode. This is Me Llaman La Calle by Manu Chao. Sorry for watching Spanish. I hope you enjoy it.
Me llaman 